Alec, come come sit with me. Hi, how you doing tonight? Uh, well, it's the perfect day. It is. Don't lose that. No, no don't no, lose the pen. No, but I want I want Victoria Johnson to sign that book. It's about okay. a garden that was in the place where where Rockefeller, Rockefeller Center, Center is yeah. now. So you're with your Trump book here tonight, and is Hilaria here too? No, she's home with our kids. She's home with the kids. Yeah, we had she couldn't make it this year. It's gonna Ta- be every other year for Hilaria. Well, uh, we have four little kids. It's uh, stressful. But it's wonderful. Yeah, no, it's great. I, I'm so happy for yeah, you. She'll come next year. Yeah. So tell me about your commitment to East Hampton Library and libraries in general. Where, where did well, that start telling, with you? I was telling somebody that, you know, when I first was out here years ago, I became more uh, focused on the summer programming. Right. And I, I, I rented my first house here in 82. I bought my first house in 87. And in that time, I grew to where the year-round activities became as important, if not more important. Right. So where I would support Bay Street or Guildhall or, or the film festival and things like that were that are more... Uh, scheduled on a calendar what are things for the community that endure right. when everybody's gone and of course the library is the premier example of that uh, other than giving money to the fire department right you know I mean? right it's no like, but it's uh, yeah. it's even more now maybe than before we think of libraries as just just being repositories for books it's it's a community hub it can become the pulse of a well, community well there was that thing that, it's funny you say that because there was that moment when they had the storm when Sandy happened and all the power went out and they told me that everybody was coming to the library. Right. Because uh, it was the only place that could get an internet connection. Uh, sure. And it was the only place that had power. And they were going there to, and they were paper slipping books. I mean, I mean, maybe they didn't have power, I can't remember, but it, but it was like everybody started going to this, like you said, this community right. hub, this community center. And, you know, I became very enthralled by that. And not just libraries here, but my wife and I donated money to libraries in Rhode Island and the Jersey right. Shore and places that got whacked because of budget cuts and uh, and the storm of course and so we uh, have a program where we give gift certificates to Bookhampton to five area libraries we give them $5,000 each to Montauk, Amagansett, Springs, uh, East Hampton, uh, East Hampton and Bridgehampton and, uh, and, and Sac Harbor. Sac Harbor, sorry. And so we do those five libraries okay. uh, and then uh, and then we are involved here in Office Night because the li- and then we were p- part of the group. Well, you're helped. honorary chairman of this event, yeah. which is such a popular event, and it is so important. But when you have weather like this, it's great. But it's also just to have people who write books to meet the people who read books. I mean, it's just so wonderful. And you have your book, nevertheless, and the Trump, the Trump yeah, book. The Trump book. Kurt Anderson, I wrote the book with. Kurt did most of the writing. Yeah. I mean, oh, don't say that. 90, can, he did ninety percent of it. You can take no, credit. I would never like, do no, that. I'm kidding. I'm so glad he did that with me too. Did you have when you were a kid growing up? Did you have a library or your school library that was meaningful to you? Well, do you know that in my town, uh, in Massapequa, up island where I grew up, they had the old bookmobiles. Right. And they had a couple of them. They would drive with a truck. And they stopped the different uh, areas around to bring books in a small library that was like a, a trailer. And they had these custom-built, uh, uh, like, airstreams. And they had bookshelves in them, and a woman sitting at a tiny little desk, like, it was like Barbie's dream house, you know? Right, right. It was this tiny little thing. And uh, they decommissioned them because they were so old, and they didn't replace them because everything's online now. Right. And they do have services that bring the books to elderly people's homes in, like, a van. Do you know that they gave me one of them and I have it in my yard? Get out! One of the old like bookmobiles. I have one of the old Library bookmobiles hidden in the in the tree line. Can in we my drive house. around in it and wave at people? No, because it, it completely rotted on the <laughs> oh, bottom. Of it. That's mind. why they got rid of it. Damn! It can't be driven. 
Alec so Baldwin, uh, you have got the biggest crowd here, and you just are, are you know, I love you, and uh, as a friend, and as all the stuff you do. Yeah, so. but thank, thank you for having me on. I'm just this is this is one of the well, you're a huge most supporter. important events. This is when my wife and I got involved with the, the the children's wing and everything with the late Ben Krapinski, right? Who was very kind, and you know, the community, Bob Stern, everybody came together. And man, that's one of the best things we've ever done out well, here. Well, you're also a huge supporter of PPB, and we're also really grateful yeah. for that. So thanks so much for coming, Alec. You, <laughs> See you Bye later. Me. That's Alec Baldwin. You're listening to Bridget Leroy, your host here on 88.3 WPPB. And we're here at the 15th annual East Hampton Libraries Authors Night. It is hopping here. And we've got, we're being joined now by Gretchen Rubin. I love your dress. Did you get that at a vintage store no, or something? No, no, no. It's no? new. It's a new dress. It's gorgeous. Thank you. And uh, you're here with your, I mean, this is so important to so many people. Decla- it's outer order, inner calm. Declutter and organize to make more room for happiness, yes, which is yes. such a big deal now. Um, yeah. With Marie Kondo, everybody's yes. talking about sparking joy, but I'm yeah. sure you were... Uh, you know, on on this ball before that started. Yes. Yeah. So tell me about some of some of the hints, I guess. Well, you know, this is a book that's meant to be a psych up book. It's it's written in kind of short, accessible ideas. Right. It throws out a million different ideas because what I found is like Marie Kondo has one way, and it works really well for some people. But I right. think there's a lot of ways that people can go about it. Well, and this is just like a million different ideas to get you just well, you throw the you book over your shoulder and run to your medicine cabinet. <laughs> now, Gretchen, I mean, this. How did you move from here, from the Happiness Project to this book? Well, I've been writing about happiness and good habits for years, right. and I noticed that whenever people talked about decluttering, organizing. There was just a special energy, like people just get really fired up. A friend of mine said, I finally cleaned out my fridge and now I know I can switch careers. And I was like, I know how that feels. Yeah, exactly. You you get like moments of enlightenment when you clean stuff out. We also have, I'm sorry, Abby Ellen. Yes, my friend. We're friends. We're friends. And and Abby Ellen's book is Duped, Double Lives, False Identities, and the Con Man I Almost Married. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I'm in that book. At least you did. Worlds collide moment. That's so cute. Yeah. Yeah. It. Well, I've, a lot of people here are friends. There's a lot of intermingling. There, is, there are a lot of people and here and I want to talk about your book, but I also want to just join in. I mean, did you have a moment <laughs> where you where were, I wanted to declutter? I decluttered yeah. the guy I was engaged to. You there did. you go. I decluttered. I said, but like, there's more soap. A bar of soap. It was a bar of soap. It was what very happened? revealing to Abby. This, this is why you should you should keep your belongings clear because. They can have important clues about whether someone. So I'm loves talking with you. Gretchen Rubin and Abby Ellen. Abby, tell me about the bar of soap. There was a bar of soap. I was engaged to this man. We were living together. I left him, and he said to me, when I was still living in the apartment, "We have to leave because the Navy we needs have the to ap- move out. We have to move out. We have to the move Navy out from needs this apartment. the apartment back." And so I moved out. And then a few months later, I went back in to pick something up, and he said, "I moved everything out." And then I moved everything back in. And I went in there and I said, you didn't move because everything was exactly as it was when I left, down to that sliver of soap in the soap dish. That's what really so listen to Gretchen Rubin and have everything in order. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And yeah. your story is amazing, too, because uh, I, I think that a lot of women can probably relate. Oh, yeah. And a lot of women, and I actually, and I can think of two right off the bat, who oh, married con people well, or con men. Well, send them to me because I want to write about them. 
<laughs> well, I mean, the, but this is a big thing, and sometimes they suffer from like a narcissistic disorder. What is the it called? The men do. The yeah. nar narcissistic personality disorder. There you That's go. what they suffer. And, and, and what happens to the people on the other end is that they feel like idiots, they feel like fools, they feel like they should have known. But that's why I feel like one of the great things about your book, Abby, is that here you are, this highly educated, accomplished journalist. You're like a professional question asker. And so I think And you still who, were able to yeah, get taken in. Yeah, people blame themselves. It's like, it's really, it, it plays on part of human nature where we trust. Where we trust. Where we seek engagement, where we don't think that people are going to lie to us. And so even someone who's super smart and not, you just, it just, it can happen very easily. It can easily. happen all the time. Yeah. And it does happen all the time. I report yeah. about, I just did a story in the New York Times about a man who faked cancer. Yes. And, yeah. And we, like for charity. I yeah. Mean, these I've heard all about that. It does. That was, and, and, you probably read Abby's story because she wrote yeah. a huge story about this yeah, guy. Yeah, I'm sure I did. And yeah. and and I also am just so fascinated with the whole idea of shame. Yes. You know that we don't. get shamed when we are you duped. I told everybody about it. I was thrilled. We were talking yeah, about it. Yeah. Gretchen was on board. Gretchen Rubin was on board with this book from minute one. I was. She I was. So that. thank you to Gretchen. Gretchen Rubin. Rubin and read her book. Abby Ellen. Uh, Gretchen Rubin with your book Outer Order. Intercom, The Happiness Project, yeah. and Abby Ellen, a great journalist. I'm so happy to meet you. Thank and I hope you that so we meet much. Again. Thank you. And uh, your book, Duped, which just goes to show that even the most uh, genius, brilliant, genius, brilliant people yeah. can get exactly. duped. And speaking of uh, being duped, oh, I don't mean that oh. at all, but we're about to have Elizabeth yeah. Holtzman on, U.S. Congresswoman, and your book, creating a great stir, the case for impeaching Trump. Elizabeth Holtzman, it is a great pleasure and honor to have you on our show. Thank you so much. Glad I'm Bridget Leroy. Nice to Hi, meet Bridget. you. Um, please tell me about this book and how you came to write it and the kind of reaction you're getting. Well, I wrote this book because uh, while I had been very disturbed about some of the things that Donald Trump was doing, this was last summer, uh, I had never put together in my own mind a whole case against him. Uh, Common Cause, which right. uh, everybody's heard of as an organization, asked me to think about it and see if I could prepare a memo for them outlining a case for impeachment. Right. And I wasn't sure I could do it. I wasn't sure there was a case there. And then when I sat down and put it together, it was overwhelming. And remember, I was on the House Judiciary Committee during I the Nixon impeachment. So I have what's called a niche expertise and isn't it amazing in impeachment. That, and yeah, <laughs> well, that you are probably one of the few people who has that. Correct. And isn't it amazing, yesterday being the 45th anniversary of uh, Nixon's resignation. Correct. And Nixon so. resigned in the face of certain impeachment. What happened was the House Judiciary Committee held uh, hearings and developed evidence and presented three articles of impeachment. And what happened was that the country overwhelmingly supported this. And remember, Nixon had won in one of the largest landslides in American history just a year, before, a little over a year before. So the American people had right. to change their minds. They and changed they, it in two years. And they or less. less, much less than two years. Right. And they changed it not because of some newspaper article or some uh, celebrity. 
They changed it based on solid facts that were presented by the House Judiciary Committee now, were during you the one impeachment of the, process. Were you one of the few women on that yes, committee? Yes, Barbara Jordan and I were the You were the first only two, exactly. Democratic women ever um, to serve on the House Judiciary Committee well, in the thank history you. of the United States. Thank you, and all of us, all of us who have come slightly afterward, thank you for blazing that kind of a trail. Well, thank you. And uh, what sort of reaction are you getting to this? Uh, let's say what sort of reaction are you getting from the other side? I'm sure you've... Well, the other side hasn't approached me about this yet, but I think uh, most people tell me that uh, they like the book. I mean, I've only heard good reactions to the book. It, it's not a very long book, and I tried right. to write it in a way that's clear to somebody who's not a lawyer and, that it's a good read. and doesn't know about impeachment and doesn't know about these facts, because I think it's really important for ordinary Americans to understand what the Constitution has to say and what the facts are and put those two together. Uh, but the reaction has been mostly people are concerned. How is this going to happen? What's the political impact going to be of impeachment? Right. And I keep saying, you know, when we started the Nixon impeachment, in, right after the Saturday night massacre, which was when uh, Nixon forced the Watergate prosecutor out, fired him, nobody knew even what impeachment was. So right. we had no idea what the end product was. We just knew that we had to do it the right way. We right. had to do it in a fair way. We had to do it in a way that the American people could respect. And the consequence was, politically, it was terrific for the Democrats. Who knew that when we started? We didn't even know that there would be impeachment. We didn't know there was a case for exactly. impeachment. And, but because we did it in the right way, the American people respected us, and they knew that this was what was necessary to save democracy. Elizabeth Holtzman, four-time uh, Democratic Congresswoman from New York, was it four terms? Yes. That you served and on the House uh, Judiciary Committee during the Nixon hearings and the Nixon consequent impeachment process. Impe impeachment process and your book, The Case for Impeaching Trump. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for being here at Authors Night. I'm sure you've got a line out the door. Yes, thank the you. The proverbial door. Thank you again. Thanks so much. Eric. Uh, and... We have Dave Itzkoff. Hi, we spoke last yes, year. Right. How are you? Hi, good to have you with Thank his you. book, Robin. Yes. Dave Itzkoff. And we, we talked about uh, last year about yeah. you traveling around with, with Robin Williams, but more has emerged since last year. LBD, Lewy Body Dementia, which wasn't even like, I think last year was like not even really part of what people discussed, has become. I don't want to say the disease of the day, but people are much more aware yeah, now. Yeah, there's definitely much more of an understanding of it, or at least an awareness that, that it exists and, and what it is. Yes. And uh, tell me, and, and there's also been a film done now. That's right. There was an HBO documentary that uh, came out in the past it, summer about his life, and that also, you know, touched on... Uh, we're talking the, about Robin Williams, if I didn't say that clearly. Sorry, yeah. and we're talking with David At Scott. the very end of his life, the circumstances and the fact that he... It, it, this was not diagnosed in his own lifetime, but that he did have uh, the symptoms of, of Lewy body dementia. That's amazing that it wasn't diagnosed. It's a complicated disease, and, and people, yeah. even in their own lifetime, sometimes they're given a diagnosis of Parkinson's because of mm -hmm. the, the similarities and the, the motor problems. And, you know, I, there are people who live with Lewy body now, and I think to even know what you have to be able to say this is what explains the symptoms it's right. it's a you know 
and you, at least you have that much affirmation or that much information to, to work with. It's right. Not something that Robin wasn't even afforded. Right. And what what are you working on now? I continue to write for the New York Times. Right. So I cover a lot about film and television. But you're not doing another book right now? I, this was something? a very big effort. This was almost yeah. four years to really dive into of his course. life and his world. And You and I, I discussed that last year. On uh, yeah, I don't, I, until I find somebody that I am really, as passionate yeah. about and care that much about. And there are so few uh, people like him. I, he I was larger than life. Yeah, of course. Of and course. Uh, we're speaking with David Skoff about his book, Robin. It's a New York Times bestseller. Uh, did you manage to stack the stack the deck that way? Being on, no, I'm <laughs> did you get in the computers no, and like? No, I'm kidding. No, I'm you kidding. Have to, yeah, no we it's, have to be completely neutral. Fact yes. checked. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, thank you again so sure. much for joining um, me, and thank you for coming out for Authors Night again. Sure, it's and such an incredible experience. Isn't I it love wonder, coming here? And yeah. isn't it great to like talk with the other authors and everything? Sure, sure. It, I mean, you get to sit a few tables away from Robert yeah. Caro. You can't beat that. Right? Yeah. I know. I was so excited. And have you read his new book, Working? Yeah. That's like the first one that I can actually understand because it's about <laughs> things that... But it's that, for us. Yeah, it's for journalists. exactly. For it's people, for, you know, who don't live on Mount Olympus. No, but it's for people. It's for journalists. I yeah. mean, it describes the, the actual... I mean, I was so fascinated. It, I think it's going to become the Bible for journalists. I think so, too. On and how you, to investigate things. Yeah, and also you just learn, I mean, the craft of it and the yeah. amount of your day that you have to be willing to commit to it. And it, it's like... I mean, it's like any other kind of job, but here's how to do it. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Dave. Sure it's thing. great Thank to you see you again, me. and I hope I see you again I next year. I hope so, year. too. Enjoy All the right, rest of your day. All right, thanks a lot. Take care. Hi. Come on up. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Dave Cullen, hi, with your book, Parkland. Hi, I'm Maureen. Maureen. My book is American Predator. American Predator. So these are two books that have to deal with a lot of uh, the current climate. Mine is about uh, a serial killer, but the case jumped from serial killer to terrorism. Uh, so it's, a, it's sort of a thin thread, uh, but I think we could probably work it. Okay, and... Uh, <laughs> I'm a journalist. And, yeah, I know, and we're live, by the way, so... <laughs> we can work it, we can work it, baby. We're gonna work, I'm a journalist, too. I know, that's what I think, like, I think we're on the air, aren't we? your name again, I'm so used to having books in front of me. Maureen Callahan. Maureen, you own that <laughs> shit. Go ahead and own it. It's okay. It's NPR. Uh, Dave Cullen, in your book Parkland, this is um, a very important tome. And even in the past week, we've had two more shootings. And, and of course, Columbine, the book that you wrote. How do you go about dealing with... I don't even know how to phrase the question. How do you go about dealing with the two different sides when you're, when you're constructing... A book like this well this one I approached completely differently because I felt with Columbine I tried to tell the story like the big-picture story right. and it was half and half sort of like you two going back and forth the uh, the killers before story leading up to it and then the survivors for ten years afterwards in alternating chapters this one completely different this is just about the response I refuse to name the killer in here and there's just and I've noticed that they're doing that pages. right now uh, with these two most recent shootings they're not naming I, I'm, I'm so impressed me too I okay so I took so much shit so I wrote a piece for BuzzFeed about eight years ago yeah. about not naming the killers I took so much flack. I was on, uh, they paired me to debate with Jeff Greenfield on yeah. Reliable Sources on CNN, and so many journalists eviscerated me. Well, okay. No, I, but for but not I, I, glorifying I, killer, the killer, and not giving them a name. Exactly. Well, it, journalists were very slow to own up to our role in it, because... 
that was painful, but I think I think we've gotten there now, so yeah. I'm, I'm happy for that. Well, that's great. And Maureen, tell me about your tell me about American Predator. So American Predator is uh, the the true story of the most uh, unprecedented serial killer that the FBI has ever encountered. Uh, when he was captured, will in you bring me back one and sign it for me? I would. I, I ran out. They're ran all out? gone. Oh They're God. all gone. Yeah. That's, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll send you one. But um, <laughs> when, the, when the FBI apprehended him, and, and it was in connection with one abduction of a young teenage girl in Anchorage, Alaska, they, they caught him in Texas. And they very quickly realized they were out of their depth. They went to the top Jesus, criminal Alaska mines. to Texas? I just, I it, just caught on that. He, he was all over the United States of America, which is what makes this case unique. Right. Uh, but they, they, they went to the top criminal profilers at Quantico and said, help us talk to this guy. And they said, we don't know what to tell you. We've never seen one like this before. Wow. Yeah. That is just amazing. And your book is gone. That's incredible. It's gone. It's a, it's a New York Times bestseller. It's yeah. doing really well. It's struck a nerve. I couldn't be more thrilled. There is something in there for everyone, I think. Well, that's amazing. And you also, I, I mean, your background is journalism. And your background is journalism, and I'm 100%, a journalist. Yes, I'm, we I'm, all. The I'm the associate editor of the Independent, the local paper here, oh, which wonderful. I co-founded. Oh, very nice. So uh, this is this is just this is my side gig. Yeah, this is where I make all the big money, right, Wally? Right, right. <laughs> this is where I get all the big money at NPR. Hell yeah! Yeah, I'm doing anyway. a piece for Vanity Fair right now, updating of like where we are in the movement because I'm yeah. so tired of people saying after Newtown nothing happened and never will. So much has changed. Well, so I want to give of, like, you guys my documenting my card what has I, gone on. Now, do I are, are either of you like local out here? Do you have houses Brooklyn. out here? I'm no, no. no, I mean, yeah, I'm local. Oh, and, I have uh, friends in Sab Sag Harbor, but uh, they're no, all. No, you're not local. Oh, that's not <laughs> no, but Maureen, you, you have I'm, a place out I'm here? in Springs in East will, Hampton. Will you hit me up on my email so that I can actually interview you for the newspaper as well? I would love it. Cool. I would love it. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah. And uh, I didn't think that would be my reaction when we talk about such serious matters as murder and school shootings, uh, but this is uh, an ongoing issue. Parkland, Dave Cullen, and Maureen, your book, uh, American Predator, which is now already off, like, has just disappeared from here because people are so fascinated with, with this. With what this is, and, and you know, I, I just did a column actually for The Post about the most recent spate of shootings, and the question I asked is, why are young American men so angry? And I think that this is part of the conversation we're not having. After yeah. these spree shootings, Republicans talk mental health, Dems talk gun control, but nobody's talking about this serious epidemic. It's kind of like white male radicalization of, of, of and I'm not quite sure where it's coming from, but I have a feeling, here I am speaking, that when things were good, um, like the termites were at work under the, the foundation of the good. So this even goes back, I think, even before when seeds were being planted, when we were not paying attention. Maybe it's you know it's so funny. I mean, you're you're so much more the expert than I am, but I think of Columbine as sort of the big bang of this right. yeah, happening, exactly. and yeah. and and since then we have yet to ask this question, which is a hard one because it's existential. Right. Why are they so angry? Why are they angry to well, submit mass carnage? Well, on but the I think scale? they were always angry. I think uh, some of these things are self-perpetuating. Once Columbine became a thing and showed that most of these kids are angry depressives and that they can get the voice they're searching for, the notoriety. You know, we're going to go from this real life information to the guy who played Carlo yeah. in The Godfather. <laughs> uh, so we're going to go from from the the very real problem that we have to something a little lighter. Crime, crime, crime. <laughs> crime. We're still we're staying with crime, but we're going to bring on Thomas Mayer. Uh, 
Thomas, hold on one moment, Thomas. Hold on one second. Sure. Do I get to do a Hi. commercial on uh, NPR? No, yes, I would love you, you to. Well, it it's WPPB. Three mafia spies. There yes. we go. That's the obvious one, right? Well, no. You're supposed to do it for the station, not for yourself. <laughs> Gosh. We have Thomas <laughs> Meyer. Sorry about that. No, Mayor. no. That's right, yeah. Mayor. I'm it's sorry. Okay. No uh, Thomas Mayer here with his book, Mafia Spies. I that's mean, right. And we just had uh, the two other uh, authors we just had were also talking about real life crime. Right. Um, sure. And this is the uh, Mafia Spies, the inside. We talked a little bit before the event got underway. We sure did. The inside story of the CIA gangsters, JFK and Castro. I mean, yeah, tie it all yeah, in no, for me. Well, sure. Uh, in a nutshell, it's a story of two gangsters who are hired by the CIA to kill Cuban leader Fidel Castro and during the Cold go, War. And why did they go outside their own to, uh, to well, draft uh, these guys? Well, the CIA back then particularly was uh, mainly composed of Ivy League characters. They didn't want to get their fingers dirty, if you will. Right. So they went deli, as we Long Islanders <laughs> say. They went deli, and they went out and got two gangsters. And the gangsters were convinced that if they could somehow kill Castro, and they were already upset with Castro because the mob, they had casinos in of Havana. Of course, of course. Right? So they had just been tossed out by Castro. They were already so angry they already with Castro. Had a beef. And then they said, okay, we'll get a get out of jail free card from the federal government. Right. And so that's the, the beginning of the book. And the two guys, it's kind of like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. The two kind of, not lovable, but kind of interesting, lovable, I guess, gangsters. I, I, I shouldn't say lovable because like, right. they were killers. But uh, but they're very intriguing characters. And, and uh, we follow them during that whole time period uh, trying to kill Castro. And then eventually they wind up getting killed when all of this comes oh, out. Oh, spoiler alert. No, I'm kidding. Yes. Oh, right. <laughs> well, you know, you kind of get that yeah. from the, even from the first chapter. But they uh, both wind up getting killed. Uh, and uh, uh, this is all part of the... Uh, now, the, how did this get on the... I mean, like, how did this get on your radar? I mean, mm -hmm. after Masters well, of I, Sex. I, yeah, right. I mean, like, to go from that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I guess it's the same time I'm period. I'm nothing if not flexible, oh, huh? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think, you know, in a way, it, 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 Masters of Sex was all about sex and love, really. Right. Uh, it was about... This and this couple. is all about hate and murder. <laughs> it is. It's about <laughs> all it's different not. types of violence. And what could be more American than that? And arguably, uh, this is the most extraordinary... Uh, U.S. spy story in history, really. Uh, yeah. it, it is, it's, it's remarkable how much it involves so many different characters. Now, has, has this already um, been optioned, so to speak? Yeah, uh, well, we are in the process of signing something with a major studio, as they say. Okay. And that will be uh, hopefully sometime soon. Thomas Mayer, have you met our Hollywood gangster, oh, Gianni, Gianni Russo? Russo? Yes, I am aware. Of him. Congratulations so I have up here now focus. Thomas Mayer, I who's am, written a book about mafia spies. I'm here to make you an offer you can't refuse. And we have the Hollywood Godfather spies. himself, Gianni Russo, who played Carlo in the original Godfather. Thank God. The, uh, the, the kind of like the, the the I've always kind of felt bad for Carlo, even though he was a, a schmuck. Well, I took over and, the whole family business. Yeah, right, right. And uh, tell you me were, about you were wonderful. Thank you. you were wonderful. Appreciate it. Thank you. And so it's wonderful to have you both here at the same time. So you wrote this? I, you know, I can did. speak a little bit closer, Johnny. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, go ahead. And you know, The Godfather was done by a Long Islander. 
I'm just going to let you two enjoy yourself. Coppola. Well, not only that, as Mario Puzo. Oh, right. In, in Another Amityville. Long Island. Hello. Uh, now, do you guys have a relationship to Long Island as well? No. I do. I'm a reporter for Newsday. Well, so yeah. Oh, okay. Years. Oh, that's what you do. Yes, yeah. yes, that's it's it. funny because I know Johnny Roselli and all of this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My book, I left the country 22 months after the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. Wow. You did? I had to. Oh, my Roselli God. Roselli was quite a character. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. So he, he was the mobs guy yeah, in so Hollywood. Yeah, so let's, let's interview Chicago. Johnny together yeah. now because we're Chicago. wrapping up. Yeah. We only have five minutes left. Yeah. So okay. Thomas Mayer from sure. Newsday and your book, Mafia Spies, Masters of Sex. And we're talking here with Johnny Russo. We're talking about Hollywood Godfather. Tell me what made you want to put this in print now. Well, I'm 75 years of age. No, you're not. The last sentence in my book is, yes, you can. I survived polio, Bellevue Ward from when I was seven to 12, hit oh the gosh. streets, and I was taken in by Frank Costello. Yeah. Then went, wow. when they were in partners with the Alpha in Chicago, yeah. I did a lot of business with them for wow. years. So how did you end up, it's called Hollywood Godfather, so you went I, out there, you had nothing to do with it. I, I wrote it, it was called Don't Shoot the Messenger, because I was a messenger all my life. Right. My publisher, St. Tom, I mean, uh, St. Martin's, yeah, sure. and McMillan decided this is a better title, and they're right. Oh, yeah. They went crazy. That's so and great. And all those wise guys, they really love The Godfather, right? Oh, my God. And especially that set, that Generation Lord, the baby boomer. Well, not uh, only that, but right, John Gotti thought he was done cuddly on. Yeah. <laughs> Even oh, Spalatro, yeah. they're all nuts. Forget How much did they watch the movie? Did they go through the movie with you? No, no, no. John never liked me. Uh-huh. He, he never liked you. Well, he, John has to be the most important person in the room. So I, I wouldn't even hang around with the guy. Right, 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 because he might get on his radar the oh, wrong no, way. He's crazy. He gets yeah. you whacked for nothing. Yeah, absolutely. But no. One thing I learned about these guys, yes. you don't play games with them and don't hang out with them. Right? Oh, boy. That's why Joe Pesci, in many ways, that Hello. character is well, more Joe Pesci, Joe Pesci really had a problem because when he, when Joe Denti, he worked for Joe Denti as a waiter. Uh-huh. People don't notice. <laughs> and when he went out to California, Joe Denti followed him out there. <laughs> And destroyed his career. Right, right. Well, they tried to get you involved in the mob. Oh yeah, you? hello, yeah. Yeah, I didn't you join did. the Boy Scouts. I no, I was going to say. I mean, Hollywood is hard enough. I mean, uh, um, but but uh, Johnny, so tell me the uh, your life in the movies and the mob. We've talked about the mob now. Tell me about the movies. Well, the movies was my first. I got into the movies because of the mob. Right. I straightened out the labor problem with Joe Colombo and Paramount Pictures. And my reward was getting Carlo. That's amazing. That's now, you know, my, you know my family is showbiz, right? You know my right. last name is Leroy. My grandfather was Mervyn Leroy, oh, wow. who okay. produced Warner. The Wizard of Oz. And my oh, great-grandfather yeah. was Harry Warner, who started oh, Warner great. Brothers. Right. Yeah. So uh, I have some background. Harry's in this book, by the way. My grandfather? He is in Mafia Spies. Your grandfather is in this book. My great-grandfather, book. I mean. Great-grandfather. great-grandfather. Harry Warner. Yes. Yes. Yeah, the, the Warners. Friendship rings. Friendship rings. Yeah, absolutely. This, this guy, I was with this guy. Johnny. Well, I can't right thank the, you guys enough. This has just been like, this, this has been the power. Can I get you guys to both sign these books? I want to sure. buy them. I, I don't I'm think so I have delighted a pen. to meet you, Gianni. Do you have oh, a my pen? pleasure, please. Do either of you guys have a pen on you? Uh, I think I do. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I have one. Uh, you have a pen. Will you sign this for me? I'm just thrilled. I, had, I left it at the desk. You know, uh, just a quick story also. Francis Ford Coppola, um, my, um, yeah, my, uh, 
My parents live in the Apthorpe in in New York, and he rented it. And Sophia was born in my bedroom. Oh wow! Yeah. You know so the funny thing. Really? Yeah, they rented our house for eight months, our apartment for eight months while my stepfather was doing a film. One of the so. trivia questions I use about the Godfather. Yeah. I say, who was the only female that played a male part in Godfather One, and then went on to win an Oscar <laughs> as a female? With right. Sophia. Sophia, because she We used her as the baby. As the baby. My baby oh, my when God. I christening. With this, we're already talking about this. It's going to be a production of this. And I said, we must have more Sicilians in this. Because, you know, I think too many movies that are made about the, about the mob don't have enough. Guess what? Yeah. Thomas Mayer, Johnny Russo, this has been such a great ending for this, but we are out of time. Well, and no, you. I can't thank you enough. <laughs> Who do you, you want this to? Bridget. Uh, I don't think I have any more cards left, but maybe I do. Here. Yeah, I do. Here. Bridget, thank you. And will you, you sign so your sign book for me as well? We are coming to the end of our yeah, broadcast so here. My pleasure. Thank you. On WPPB 88.3 FM. Hi, so now we have VC Chickering on. We're still here at Author's Night. And you tell me about your book. Twisted, twisted family values. <laughs> twisted family values. Twisted family values. I'm just hung up on your name. VC Chickering sounds like a made-up, wonderful. It sounds Isn't Dickensian. It fabulous. Yeah. It's what, a great do name. you mind me asking Chick what the VC stands for? Chickering is my uh, legal. Chickering. A professional name. Okay. VC is Victoria. Okay. And then the C is really whatever you would like it to be. Uh, that's Sometimes great. Sometimes it's chutzpah. <laughs> Sometimes it's Cincinnati. <laughs> it could be crescent roll, croissant. Could really stand for oh, anything. Oh, how great! Um, but uh, so, twisted family values. Yes, and you and I talked about this before before yeah, yeah, we yeah. went on the yeah. air. Yeah, it's a dysfunctional family saga. It's very sort of John Irving esque. Wow. It's a slow unraveling of one family, four generations over fifty years, and it's basically a shit show. It's funny, <laughs> it's smart, it's intense, it's great. Oh, that's so great. It's and did you base piece. it a little bit maybe on your own life or you not? No, I actually did not. Although the, the, the timeline lines up with mine. So they're toddlers in 68, mm. they're kids in the 70s, go to college in the 80s in Boston. Right. So the hors d'oeuvres, the food, the, the bands, the bar bands is all me. And hey, my you know experience. what? We have to hook you up with the people at Almond Restaurant. Are you out here a lot? No, uh, no, yeah, you're in, in New Jersey. I'm I, you're I in Quad. In Almond, at Almond I'm in Restaurant, I'm just giving a shout out to Almond. Um, they do these nights where they have like a, a artist and writer's night. Yeah. But they'll choose a book and then they'll cook around that book oh. based on the food that might even be mentioned. Might well, just be mentioned I in passing. Well, I did mention a lot of music and food and fashion. The food, there's the, the, the walnut cheese ball. The, the oh, cheese, God. The cheddar che yeah. cheese ball wrapped in rolled in walnuts and devil was the height the height the of of, of and cuisine and tonic <sighs> and in the 80s they're drinking labats and molson oh my god i mean it's really funny that's so much fun it's fun it's sexy so it's, it's a racy. fun sexy book about dysfunctional family yes. values and eventually actually um and four gen is it four generations it's four generations 50 years it, it ends up being about forgiveness and acceptance and having to put up with people we love making stupid choices. VC Chickering, I am so glad I got a chance to get you on. Me Thank too. you so much. Thank you, Bridget. And, and come back. I will. I'd love to. Yeah. Okay, great. To. Well, thanks, thanks for joining us. Right. Thank you. We've been so pleased to be here for the 15th annual Authors Night for the East Hampton Library. Uh, we're wrapping it up. And thank you, everyone who's been on. I'm sure you'll be able to listen to the archive. 
and uh, <laughs> everyone's making me laugh. This is Bridget Leroy. I've been your host again, second year. Thank you, Wally Smith. Thank you to our producer, Kyle Lynch. And thank you, Dennis Fabizak, Alec Baldwin, and East Hampton Library.